Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship to all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ Church worldwide. We long to see the church revitalized by the gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together for gospel-hearted fellowship around gospel-minded theology. We are a ministry of union. Greetings, friends. My name is Justin Schell, and I want to welcome you back to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast, where we gather around the great truths of God and seek to encourage one another in the work of the gospel. Especially if this is your first time to join us, you should know that we are praying for you. We pray weekly that in every episode, you are encouraged more and more to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. I want to make you aware of our website, reffellowship.org, R-E-F-fellowship.org. That's where you can find out more about what we are all about here at the Reformation Fellowship, and we can keep you updated on news about events, resources, the gatherings, etc. Today's guest is Dustin Binge. Dustin serves as the provost for Union School of Theology in Bridgend, Wales. He shared a bit more about himself in our previous episode, so if you missed that, do go back and listen. Today's episode is the second of three with Dustin, and we will be exploring the Puritans. Just as a reminder, Dustin will join us for one more conversation next week as we discuss biblical spirituality. Dustin, welcome back to the Reformation Fellowship. Thank you, Justin. It's a privilege to be back with you. Thank you. Yeah, we are excited to discuss the Puritans with you. I know this is a, a topic. These are a people that, uh, that you're passionate about. And so maybe just to lay a little bit of a foundation for us, who are the Puritans? Well, we could certainly spend all the episode just trying to describe who the Puritans were, Um you, you really have to go back to when Elizabeth I, here's a bit of history, Elizabeth I ascended to the throne as Queen of England in 1558 and began to reverse much of her sister Mary, uh, or as perhaps many of the listeners will know her as Bloody Mary, her Catholic initiatives were reversed by her sister Elizabeth. And out of that really came a desire uh, of several groups of people who wanted the freedom to worship outside of that which was dictated to by the state. They had been used to Roman Catholicism lording over them and dictating how they would worship, many of them being martyred under the reign of Mary. But then when Elizabeth came, there was still quite a strong structure by which they were dictated to by the state. So the term Puritan was initially, uh, initially used as a derogatory term in the 1560s and came to refer to a large contingent of Protestants who were seeking to purify and reform the Church of England. Now, within that reform movement, there were several different groups that began to emerge. One group only desired mild reforms. Another group wanted to only reform the organizational structure of the church. 
while another group completely opposed the Church of England and fully rejected most of the practices of the state-run church. But there's also a fourth group within Puritanism that sought complete separation from the Church of England. From these two latter groups, we find men that, for instance, came to uh, settle the new uh, world uh, in um, a book that I've co-written with a dear friend of mine, Nate Pickowitz, on the American Puritans. And so really from all four of these groups, we have kind of Puritans emerging in the late 1500s. So that's a bit of the historical context through which they rose up. They just simply desired reform and religious freedom to determine within their own local contexts how they would worship. Mm. Mm. Well, that's, that's great. That's a great introduction. Maybe another introduction is needed, though, Dustin, because you've, at this point, you've written about the Puritans. You've edited works um, that, that include writings by the Puritans, um, but that had to start somewhere. For you, how did you discover the Puritans? In, in one aspect, I feel like I've known the Puritans all of my life, <laughs> But that would simply not be true to say. Uh, We can look around our libraries, for instance, and some of my dear friends are sitting on the shelves. I've never met them, and they've been dead for several hundred years, but still yet we've grown close because I've read many of their writings and, and researched and know their history. In high school, and here's a bit of personal biography, if you will, In high school, I read, as most high school students do, the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. Um, That sermon was used as an example of early colonial preaching, and I think it was basically meant to scare high schoolers to death, (laughs) or at least that's what it did to most. But it was at that point that I began saying to myself, I need to know more going on here. There's there's a robustness, there is a depth doctrinally that I have never been acquainted with. Who are these men? So my grandfather owned uh, Matthew Henry's commentary on the Bible. And I remember getting that as a teenager, early called into ministry, reading some of Henry's insights and being amazed, amazed at the depth of his language, the depth of his insight, uh, the depth of the spirituality that was just simply flowing out of these pages. And then early in college, I read J.I. Packer's Knowing God, uh, which in that book, along with many others by Packer, he quotes the Puritans profusely. I mean, the Puritans literally are saturating those pages. So a whole new world was opened up to me quite early on in college. So it was really a progressive thing. I came to the Puritans slowly, but it was through certain major figures, Jonathan Edwards, Matthew Henry, John Owen, Um, when I began to devour Puritan paperbacks published by Banner of Truth, it really brought these works alive to me. 
I began reading some of the sermons of Jonathan Edwards and really fell in love with these men who seem to enjoy God, relish Christ, instructed very practically in Christian living, and just seem to view all things differently than I had ever viewed Mm. them before. And so I wanted a Puritan heart. If that was what the Puritans were, then give it all to me, is Mm. what I was basically saying. Mm. Well, it's it's clear from... um, from what you've said already, <laughs> at least partly in answer to my next question, um, you believe the Puritans have a lot to teach the church today, teach Christians today. Uh, just tell us a little bit more about that. Why? Why do you? Why do you feel that way? There, there's so many things that the Puritans say to us today. Um, J.I. Packer did a, did a great job of bringing Puritan language up to date and revealing to us why they were still talking from the grave. There are many who alive now are currently writing in such ways that are bringing the Puritans to life. I think sometimes Christians today, if, if I could just point out one area, Christians today compartmentalize our theology. And what I mean by that is that we tend to view our family life different than our church life and our church life different than our professional life and our professional life different from our politics and our politics different from our ethics. And everything seems to be wrapped up in neat little packages, all separate from one another. We have a theology for family, a theology for work, a theology for the church, and and sometimes we're in danger of simply not connecting everything together. And so the Puritans seem to weave a thread through every aspect of life. As I began to read them, Justin, they the Puritans have a full-orbed, reformed biblical worldview through which they operate and view all of life. In other words, their theology and the way they view biblical theology and the biblical text, it's not compartmentalizing, but it's all-encompassing. Mm. They can teach Christians today to look through the single lens of God's glory in Christ, Mm. viewing and discerning all things through the rubric of God's word and having the mindset of the Christian life being a true pilgrimage in that we are strangers in this world. Therefore, the Puritans viewed everything in the world, science, politics, art, literature, music, beauty, family, church, all the rest of it. They viewed these things as being the story through which God was unveiling and revealing himself. Mm. So if we viewed life more in this way, I think we too would would act more like pilgrims in this world rather than full-time residents. Mm. And we would have an otherworldly view 
That's what I get from the Puritans when I read them. I can dip into any Puritan, Thomas Watson, Thomas Goodwin, so many different ones that I could mention. And it's almost as if they're writing from a different world because they were living in a different world. They were living on a plane of spirituality that saw all things through the lens of God's glory in Christ. And so if there's anything that the Puritans can teach us today, I think they can teach us how to do exactly that. Mm. And let's, let's build on that for a, for a moment. This robust, everything connected up worldview, what, what impact does that have on, on the life of a, of a Christian or the life of a church, do you think? Well, I think it's transforming, isn't it? Um, it's sanctifying. It's maturing. Uh, when, when we have our theology all compartmentalized in their own little sections, then it's so easy to think differently, for instance, about politics than we do the church, and there's no connection between the two, and our Christian life doesn't translate into the public square. It only translates into certain personal things, and, and there's a major danger in that we are Christians part of the time, and part of the time we don't seem like Christians, and, and there's just a big problem in that area. And so if we learn from the Puritans that we view all things through the lens of God's glory in Christ, it really makes us just an otherworldly. We view ourselves as pilgrims in this world, but citizens of a heavenly glorious kingdom. It helps us to discern all things through the rubric of God's word. It helps us view all things in regard to the gospel and how the gospel applies to every situation of our life. And it just draws us closer to Christ and it conforms us more into his image. Yeah. I'm just thinking about my own life, uh, the, the effect it may have on just say how I parent. Uh, the, the world tells me my job as a parent is to make sure that my, my children are fully functional adults in the, the system of this world that, so they can go out and get jobs and, and make the money they need. And, and jobs are good and we do need money. Um, but you can do all of that without um, at all. Uh, discipling your kids with, <laughs> you could, you could help them get a job and be a contributors to society without at all helping them see the glory of God or to yes. live in light of yes. that. Well, yeah. you know, we're, we're teaching our kids how to go out and work for instance, but are we teaching them that that work is actually sanctioned by God and mm -hmm. the work they do is actually glorifying God and work is a good thing to do in the economy of God. Mm -hmm. And so they, they really see themselves, the Puritans do, and they can teach us as planets orbiting the glory of God mm -hmm. and God keeps them in orbit he keeps them in elliptical, 
um, views of all things. He keeps them in the course of their way, and they simply, their whole world just rotates around him. And so that would apply to parenting. That would apply to every single aspect of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. It could be interesting just to tease out, you know, these, uh, how, how this would affect uh, just even our day-to-day lives. Mm. I, I'm, I don't want to venture a guess, but I, I, I think Dustin, you probably have a personal favorite Puritan or two. Is that, is that the case? Who, who would that be? And, and why would they stand out for you? A long time ago, um, an older man in the faith, a, a mentor, um, and I've heard from a few others since then, this same encouragement told me to pick one or two people in church history and study them as a hobby throughout my life. Hmm. So I look, for instance, on my shelves and uh, John Owen's volumes are, you know, over 20 volumes of his works. And Jonathan Edwards are are well over 20 volumes of his works. And so it's going to be difficult to pick all these men. Everyone cannot be a hobby that you study throughout your life. So if you pick one or two, then that's who you kind of need to stick with. And though some would disagree as to whether he is in the Puritan era or not, I would say Jonathan Edwards is one that I've studied for a long time. I've ac- I actually wrote my doctoral dissertation on Edwards. His uh, theology of angels uh, is what I did my uh, PhD work on. And so I've always enjoyed his sermons, his robust pastoral care, his Christocentric theology, his revival writings of being an eyewitness to the Great Awakening in New England, and other things have helped me see so much about my own life, how to pursue a robust biblical spirituality, how to enjoy Christ more. Mm-hmm. Every line of Edwards is just just is soaked with the Lord Jesus himself. If I were to pick another, um, it may be John Owen. Um, Mm -hmm. John Owen is quite difficult. He's weighty, uh, quite deep. Um, He's an academic in many aspects. And so uh, some of his sentences may be a whole paragraph. Uh, He he doesn't know anything about punctuation or periods in his writing. Um, So he's a bit slow going. I was encouraged to read John Owen uh, a page a day. But Owen, out of anything, if Edwards has taught me about Christ, Owen has taught me a great deal about sin and how to mortify sin. Owen's writings, again, are deep, very slow going, but they're a rich treasure to uncover um, that I would encourage the listeners. Don't be don't be hesitant to pick up these works and, and look through them. Take a, take a page a day if you need to, to just soak in all that they're saying. But those probably are my, my two. Um, I'm always looking at others. For instance, I'm looking right now at some of the works of Jeremiah Burroughs. Um, I've edited small little volumes of Thomas Watson and Thomas Brooks um, and others. Um, But there's so much out there. Pick one or two, study them as a hobby, and get to the bottom of their theology. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, a few minutes ago, you were talking about the Puritans and you said, I wanted that heart. And um, one of the things I've loved about the Puritans I've encountered is their pursuit of joy in the Lord, this real warm experience of fellowship with God. Have you seen that as well? Is that um, is that an area that maybe we need to recover the Puritans for our own good as well? Oh, absolutely. There's, and I'm grieved at this, Justin, but th- there is a general misconception that the Puritans are dour, joyless people. Uh, we see their portraits and they have uh, powdered wigs on and they wear all black and they just go around the town making sure that people aren't having any fun. And that's how they're portrayed in literature. Uh, that's how they're portrayed in um, uh, cinematic presentations. But that, that's not at all the Puritans that I read. Joy literally seeps from their written words. Joy in knowing God and Christ. Joy in knowing Scripture joy in communing with the Holy Spirit, joy in family and all of life. Edwards writes a lot on joy and how to properly pursue that joy in the Christian life. So much of John Piper's work on joy comes out of his reading of Edwards, for instance. Mm. But it wasn't just joy for joy's sake, or it wasn't happiness for the sake of happiness in present circumstances. The joy of the Puritans that they experienced that I think we should desire to pursue in our own relationship with Christ was the enjoyment of God. And as that is directly connected to their spirituality and their piety. So John Owen, Richard Sibbs, and others sought great enjoyment of God through the development of a robust doctrine of God. Mm. So they did not separate joy from doctrine. It wasn't a slap-happy kind of joy. They did not divorce the enjoyment from the means through which that enjoyment comes. Mm. Prayer, devotion, church life, Bible reading, Bible study. In other words, we will never experience as Christians this level of joy if we do not pursue God through the means he has given us to pursue him. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think probably some of our listeners are at this point um, considering how they might dig into the Puritans, how they might make some new friends, as you say. Uh, what um, what resources would you recommend for uh, for people wanting to maybe first have their first introduction to the Puritans? Maybe some of our listeners are are right at the beginning of that journey. Maybe some have read a, a couple of introductory things and want to go a little bit deeper. Where would you direct those groups? There's some great books on the Puritans, but I would recommend actually reading the Puritans. Purchase the Puritan paperbacks from Banner of Truth. They're made a bit easier to read with updated English. Don't be intimidated by them. Take a page a day if you need to, as I've already recommended. 
Um, there's also some great books from Reformation Heritage. They're publishing a lot of great Puritan works. Joel Beakey and Mark Jones's Puritan Theology is a big volume of rich theology of the Puritans, but it is full of Puritan works, writings, quotes, etc. I've also started editing uh, a few small volumes in a series with H&E publishers out of Canada from the Puritans and others. At the moment, um, there is uh, Calvin on Prayer, about 112, 115 pages, a small little volume, very accessible. Thomas Watson on Meditation is available. Now, of course, Calvin was a reformer, but Watson was a Puritan. Uh, his book on Meditation I would say there's nothing equal to that on the subject. Mm. Coming in that series is John Owen on Faith, edited by a dear friend of mine, Cameron Dula. Uh, Jonathan Edwards on Stewardship is currently being edited by Joel Morris. And I've also edited Thomas Brooks on Humility. So we're just trying to make these small little volumes available, around 100 pages. You can give as gifts, keep one for yourself. It's a great introduction, providing a biographical account of the author, as well as a section of their writing. Very practical Christian living elements in the writings of the Puritans. So it doesn't take long to find some really great resources. Look at Banner of Truth, H&E, Reformation Heritage. Um, check the Reformation Fellowship website. I'm sure there will be great resources there. But please, just get into the Puritans. Don't be intimidated. Read the Puritans. You will not be sorry. Mm. Yeah, we will make sure to, uh, on, the, on the landing page for this episode, to include links to the works and the recommendations that Dustin has, has shared with us. So go there for that information. Dustin, thanks so much for joining us again. I, I know we've only scratched the surface and um, that just means we'll have to have you back and, and go deeper next time. Well, there we go. Thank you so much, Justin, for the kind invitation to join you. Um, I'm always willing and ready to talk about the Puritans. Awesome. Awesome. Well, to our listeners, our time is up. Thank you for joining us and the Reformation Fellowship. We would love to stay in touch with you. The best way to do that would be to head over to reffellowship.org. That is R-E-F fellowship.org. Sign up for our newsletter. We'll be able to keep you updated on upcoming events, upcoming resources, upcoming gatherings, etc. Thank you again for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. God bless.